I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Dark Heights Season 2, Episode 3. Majo. Begin journal entry. Hundreds of shuffling feet dragged forward, step after step, in perfect unison. My arms were linked in other arms. I was born into the heart of the homeless tent city. There, to my surprise, a woman came through the throng. The others parted to let her pass. It was Georgia, the bag lady. She held on penpal in her hands and raised it up in order to deliver it to me. I accepted it gravely. Then Manny, the vet, came up to me with my pocket knife, with crybaby. Faces turned toward me expectantly, as if in a dream or a ritual. I fit on penpan under the crown of my head, and I opened crybaby to show its silver blade, holding it up high. The work of power I'd hastily fashioned only a few minutes before seemed to come to its conclusion like a circuit now closed. The men and women began to turn away, each going back to where they had been before I'd bound them to me. If the Trinity was following, they'd be upon me quickly now. I broke into a flat-out sprint, the Hello Kitty backpack bumping between my shoulder blades, grabbing for unpenpine when it slipped off my head, then clutching it to my chest. Maybe I could fight a trinity, if I was cornered. Not Marius Severin, though. 
on any watcher, not on my own. I came to a corner and veered to the right. There were blue tarps propped up by poles into boxed square shapes on either side of the narrow street, makeshift shelters long since lent permanence. I dodged through them, not slowing down. At the corner of Gladys Avenue and East 7th Street, I slowed my flight to look behind me. I sensed, rather than saw, that there was pursuit. Perhaps more than one trinity making its way through Skid Row, closing in like a tightening net, a closing fist. In the distance, the skyscrapers of the financial district glittered, their edges cutting into the blue sky beyond. The needle at the top of the Wilshire Grand Center shone pure white in the sun. Somewhat insensibly, I continued down East 7th Street, heading uptown. I managed only one block. On the corner of Stanford Avenue, there was a jet black compact car. I would later learn it was a 1967 Datsun Roadster idling, parked exactly in my path. As I approached the car, a young woman jumped out from the passenger side, gesturing wildly. Get in, come on, get in! I skidded to a stop in front of her. She had twisted around to flip down the Dotson's front car seat. Then she sprang back to face me. At close quarters, her expression was sour. It really is you, Gabriel Majot. It seemed like she didn't want to believe it. Who are you? How do you know me? She said, Better if we talk in the car, like when we're driving out of here? The Dotson's driver leaned over so I could see her. She was older than the other girl. She spoke with an attitude of authority. I'm Nomi. This is Eleanor. We're here to help you. Eleanor gestured to the back seat. If you get in... I shook my head. This was reckless, and I didn't like relying on anyone else in any situation. But there was only so much strength left in me, and I knew I was still in danger. Perhaps it was a different kind of danger, getting into this car with these young women who knew me. But at least there was now a possibility of getting away from my pursuers. Let's go then. As I folded myself into the back of the car, I realized there was another woman in the back seat, which left very little space for me. This third young woman was slumped against the window, soundly asleep. Eleanor said, Don't squish Dalalay back there. Nomi gunned the engine, and there followed the roar of a racer's high horsepower, clearly not as vintage as the rest of the car. She cranked the steering wheel, the compact black roadster careened around a tight U-turn, burning rubber. Very macho, Nomi, Eleanor said. She pushed a thick pair of glasses up from the end of her nose. Her hair was drawn back tightly in a ponytail, strands of it starting to come loose nonetheless. Nomi's long, thick dreads were flying around her head wildly as she drove, masterfully weaving around a clutch of slower cars. They're following, Eleanor. Look behind us. Both Eleanor and I turned and looked through the back window. Indeed, there was a sleek black sedan making speed down Stanford Avenue behind us. Nomi accelerated as much as the roadster could manage. It was considerable. We're in a damn car chase, she said. The sleeping girl, Dalalay, had fallen onto me from the U-turn. I pushed her back to her side of the car as gently as I could, not really understanding how she hadn't woken up yet. There was a low, rumbling, indelicate snoring that came from her. Eleanor was shouting, Turn on 8th! 
Shake them! Nomi shouted back, Did you just tell me to shake them? That's awesome! She made the turn. The Dotson shot between lanes and barreled straight toward an oncoming taxi before Nomi pulled it back to the right. Dalale fell over onto me again, and I pushed her back. I needed some answers from these young women. My apparent rescuers. How did you know where I was? Eleanor pointed at Dalale, asleep next to me. It's all her. We're going to hit lights, hit traffic really soon, Nomi said suddenly. Eleanor agreed. Right here, on South Central. Except when we immediately turned into the wider expanse of South Central, there were no cars, no pedestrians, anywhere. Oh my god, Nomi said at the same time that Eleanor cried, It's a fucking trap! I leaned in between them from the back and finally saw what they saw. Up ahead, floating above the abandoned street, was the figure of a man. A watcher, I knew. Raphael. He was breathtaking to look upon. A young man's fine-featured face, radiant with strength, sand-colored shoulder-length hair that flowed in the currents of power that held him aloft. He was beautiful, and I knew firsthand that he was deadly. In the Battle of San Francisco, he had been an implacable enemy. He had murdered many of my brothers. The Watcher descended toward us. He gestured. The street beneath us began to rip itself apart. In the roadster, the three of us screamed. Dalale still didn't wake up. Nomi had the car in reverse. She floored it. The front of the Dotson tipped upward as a slab of street tilted into the air. The windows and the buildings along both sides of the street exploded in cascades of shattered glass. Go, go, go! Eleanor was screaming. The roadster sped backward out of the wreckage. I shouted over Eleanor. We have to get back to where there's people. Before, Marius hadn't risked using his power openly, but the Watchers had somehow arranged a killing zone for us on South Central. It would be devoid of witnesses or collateral damage. Nomi spun the car around in a maneuver with the parking brake that felt straight out of an action movie. She was angry. How did they know we were here? Looking back, I saw no indication that Yisrafel was following us. Ahead of us, there was a blockade of police cars and fire trucks. Or rather, a perimeter. The Watchers had effected an evacuation of this section of the city. The news would depict a manufactured truth. A gas main explosion. Some other ruse. Nomi turned us down a narrow alley. There's no way they have every single way out of here blocked. Oh, hell no! She cried as the roadster scraped past a dumpster in the alley, sending sparks flying. Eleanor said, We can't go home. If the Watchers knew we were coming, they've been tracking us the same way they track him. She jerked her thumb back at me. That sucks, Nomi said. Her turns were complicated. At a breakneck speed, she traversed a series of alleys behind warehouses, shops, a public health center, a city park. Finally, she pulled us out from the alleys and into the traffic of a busy street. I didn't know where we were in L.A., but Nomi had found a way out from the trap the Watchers had set for us. I shook my head. That was, without a doubt, the greatest driving I've ever seen. Thanks, Nomi said. I'm glad I got into the car with the three of you. I took in a deep breath. They were roughly the same age, these three young women. 
Nomi was black, Eleanor was East Asian, and Dalalay, snoring next to me, had slightly dark skin, lighter hair. Middle Eastern? Her name sounded Persian. Now, tell me who you are. Eleanor snapped. We're not out of this. Not if they're tracking us. I know a trick or two for that. With reluctance, I took out Crybaby. I needed an enchanted object for what I was about to do. Working magic into a material possession was a long, drawn-out process. There was no time to enchant something new. I gathered myself and focused my will. This work of magic was quick and vulgar. There was no symmetry in it, no satisfaction of a well-made working. But I wove it together within myself, and then without, in only a few minutes. Meanwhile, Nomi turned the roadster again, this time onto a street with less traffic, and continued to take us further from the Watcher's trap. Dalalay was alive with magic. I touched her aura as I worked some power into the switchblade, infusing both her signature and mine into the pattern. She needs to stop whatever it is that she's doing while she's sleeping. Go on, Eleanor, Nomi said. Eleanor looked at Dalalay, then at me, unimpressed. She closed her eyes, then made a gesture with both hands upturned, cupped together. Dalalay stirred coming awake only very slowly from a slumber that no amount of being tossed around in the back of the car had interrupted. Roll down the window, I said to Eleanor, once she'd opened her eyes again. She sighed, but she did as I asked. I tossed the switchblade out into the street. It would blossom like a bonfire with traces of my magic, of Dalalay's magic, even Eleanor's and Nomi's, for a brief period of time or until it was discovered. I said, You didn't know, did you? That the Watchers can follow magic, unless you're working your power within a sanctum. I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image, which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell, but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. 
It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. The two young women in the front of the roadster said nothing. Dalalay, next to me, yawned, blinking. She did not appear to be surprised to see me. But you don't call it a sanctum, do you? Nomi said. We call it a covenstead. Your chantresses. All three of you. Eleanor shot me a look. Took you long enough, Archimage. I don't understand. Eleanor whirled around. She was suddenly furious. It was like she'd been holding it back this whole time. What, you really thought your amazing order of murder wizards successfully exterminated every Shantos in the world for the rest of all time? Dalele spoke for the first time. That's enough, Eleanor. Eleanor took in some deep breaths to steady herself. She adjusted her glasses. Then you explain it, Doc. I can't even. Nomi interjected. Why don't we get home first? Just a suggestion, unless it isn't safe to do so. She looked at me again in the rearview mirror. It should be safe. Our magical signatures are masked for the moment. The Watchers knew where you were because Dalalay's power was active. Whatever it was that you were doing. I said to her directly. She said, I was interfering with the Trinities. You need to explain that to me. We will. I said, if we're being followed, just ordinary mundane someone tailing us, I would suggest that's a problem. Nomi looked over at Eleanor, grinning. Uh-uh. I shook him. We drove on in a tense silence. Eleanor glanced back at us more than once, glaring at me. But Dalalay's look of consternation kept her silent. Nomi kept her eyes on the road, but more than once she glanced at me in the rearview mirror, and when our eyes met, I knew she was an ally, and an equal. The shock was just starting to set in. These young women were chantresses. My God, I thought, how could I have not known there were chantresses in the world? How had they survived, and how had they kept themselves so hidden from us all this time? And now they had come to my aid, when I'd needed it most. The Watchers had become their adversaries, as well as mine. Nomi took us onto freeways, heading out northeast from the city center. Where are we going? Pasadena. The three Chantresses lived together in their version of a sanctum, their covenstead which was a spacious top-floor apartment in an old Art Deco building in downtown Pasadena, a block from Colorado Boulevard. There was underground parking, and Nomi pulled the roadster into its narrow spot between two SUVs. She got out briskly and looked over the damage to the driver's side front panel, shaking her head and grimacing. The roadster's her boyfriend, Eleanor said. Nomi sighed deeply. 
All banged up. I need a few minutes. Why don't I make us some noodles? Eleanor turned to me. Do murder wizards like noodles? Yes, I'm starving. Dalalay excused herself the moment we entered the apartment and disappeared into her bedroom, yawning as she closed the door. Eleanor shrugged. You're going to have to take the couch, I'm sorry to say. Dalalay's back at it and I'm not giving up my bed. Don't think Nomi will either. In the kitchen, she rummaged through the fridge, deposited vegetables onto a cutting board, then poured stock from a Tupperware container into a large pot, putting on the stove, setting it to boil. Want a beer? She gestured for me to take a seat on one of the stools at the kitchen island. I won't say no. You can start asking questions. Eleanor flipped a sharp knife out of its wooden block and went to work, dicing. Or why don't I just educate you? Ignorance is the baseball cap that assholes wear. You don't like me very much. What gives you that idea? Is it maybe something to do with your kind committing systematic genocide on my kind? Except you didn't actually get all of us. Like everything else you thought you were the best at, the Archimagian Order failed this too. It all happened long before I was born. Obviously, same for me, but the past extends its reach in the two of us. For me, it's the fact that there are so few Chantresses now, and so much of our knowledge is lost. For you, it's the sorrow. Speaking of which, I'm pretty sure you'll be feeling that hit you sometime soon, courtesy of the Circean sisters who came before me. Eleanor was right. I'd worked magic twice now in the last few hours. The onset of the sorrow was inevitable. She came around the kitchen island all of a sudden, moving briskly toward me. What are you doing? Relax. I'm your friend, remember? Despite her assurance, it was hard not to see her violation of my personal space as a threat. I didn't trust these people yet. She closed her eyes and placed two hands flat onto my shoulders. There was a spark in her power that leapt from her when she touched me. Then I felt the long, slow drawing out of the distress within me, like the breath in my lungs pressed out in a sighing exhalation. Softness spread into the muscles of my back. I started to slump forward against the firm strength of her hands. Abruptly, it was over. Eleanor went back to her side of the kitchen island and resumed making dinner. She glanced back at me. I saw there were tears on her cheeks. I said, You took it out of me. Sorrow is mine to take. I was shaking my head. I can't believe it. I can't believe any of this. Wait till you taste these noodles. My dad's Korean, but he was born and raised in the valley. He met my mom in Cambodia on a backpacking trip. At Angkor Wat, destiny and all that. They had to come together so that I'd exist. Anyway, this kateo I'm making, it's my mom's recipe. And trust me, you aren't ready for it. You're right about that. I wasn't ready for this. You've been on the run from the Watchers for a couple of decades now, not really paying attention to the rest of what's going on. I'd forgotten about the beer she'd opened for me. I drank it now, drank most of it in one long gulp. My throat was parched. 
I felt a vertigo come over me in the aftermath of the magic Eleanor had worked. More than that, this shift in the paradigm of what I understood the world to be. It was going to take some time for me to adjust. Words of clarity rose in my mind, allowing me to focus my thoughts. My will is the light of reason. Reason is the center that illuminates. Tell me how the Chantresses survived. Eleanor put down her knife. She adjusted her glasses, then met my eyes. I think I was only beginning to understand that, even though she was young, she possessed formidable strength and power. She said, Dalalay would tell it better, but I'll give you the short version. Your brothers killed all of us, except for one, the last Chantress. She went into hiding. She passed down her wisdom, her power, to others, always in secret. They passed their learning down, too, to their daughters, through memory. We had nothing written. It was too much to risk. Then one day, thanks to the Watchers, though there's no literal thank you there, Watchers are psychopaths who don't care about us humans even a little bit. Anyway, one day, the Archimages are no more. Which means we can come out of the cave, so to speak. We can reach out to more women. We can find our future sisters. At long last, we can begin to grow again. It is good that you're growing. That there are Chandresses again. It hasn't all gone exactly all that great. There are only a few of us so far. Turns out there aren't very many women alive in the modern world who can learn what we teach. I think it has something to do with smartphones. We're all a bit not that smart right now. Tough to pass on an oral tradition based on memorization of long passages of ancient Greek. It's incredible that you exist. It's amazing. Eleanor looked at me sharply. I think you knew about us already. You just didn't put it together quite right. I considered this, then said, You're talking about Lina. Correct. I thought at first that she was a Chantress, somehow, and I couldn't have been more wrong. It's time to let yourself off the hook for that. You quite rightly felt our influence. We've been working on her for years. I don't understand. You're in contact with Lina? She kept that from me, too? No. We've exerted a subtle pressure from far away, of course. Until today, we've kept ourselves to the wiser course of remaining hidden from the Watchers. But now you've revealed yourself to them. To protect an Archimage of all things. I owe you a debt. Eleanor actually snorted. I've got Venmo. I shook my head. What is that? Never mind. About Lena. I was saying that we've been working on her. We established a steady flow of intention from us to her. Just a trickle. Just enough. You caught the flavor of that when you met her, which made you think she was one of us. You can influence watchers in this way? No. Only her. There's something about her. She's not like the others. There are openings to her power, like cracks or broken pieces of her that allow us a sliver of access. To what purpose? I guess you don't know yet. Know what? Why don't you tell me? 
Lena has a lot to learn about herself. In fact, she hadn't made much progress at all until you showed up. Before that, we'd been helping her just to survive, to have some strength to endure. Anyway, the Watchers are about to decide that humanity must be completely eradicated for the good of the planet or just because they woke up grumpy. I don't know what constitutes their criteria for an apocalypse. We've seen their decision. It's in the near future, and we've seen what happens after. There's uncertainty in the visions around this, but there's something we do know. It's Lena. She's the only one who can stop them. It's Lena who saves the world. You're listening to Dark Heights Season 2. Dark Heights is a Realm production. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller. Produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, and Julian Yap. Starring Dion Graham, Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Sound design, editing, mixing, and mastering by Kaylin West. Original music by Chris Miller. Music supervision by Marcus Bagala. Production manager, Alexis Latshaw. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Dark Heights by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.